A final effort at the Capitol fails to move a gun control bill through the Senate. That you have to have some restrictions on people on how they access these weapons. The push, just one part of the call for action after the tragedy. I want to save other children. I want to honor her life, her legacy with action. We look at efforts to move forward in Uvalde and at the Capitol as we approach the one-year anniversary of the deadly school shooting. And a bill to ban certain health care options for transgender minors heads to the governor. How the legislation is already having an impact even before it becomes law. Plus, we show a state lawmaker video from a Texas school at the center of abuse allegations. Why our investigation has him talking about the need to change state law. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. Wednesday marks one year since the deadly mass shooting at Robb Elementary in Uvalde. The anniversary is bringing attention to efforts to respond to the tragedy and the work to move forward. Here in Austin, lawmakers have taken up several measures aimed to improve school safety. Results have been mixed, and despite pleas and protests from family of children killed in Uvalde, legislation aiming for gun control has failed to advance. Politics reporters Monica Madden and Ryan Chandler have been reporting on the upcoming anniversary. Monica and Ryan join us now. You both traveled to Uvalde this past week. What was it like there as the anniversary approaches? Josh, every time we go back there, it's always, I feel my heart is heavy being back in that community. You see the crosses in the town square still there. You see the crosses outside of Robb Elementary, which is still there. And you can just, it almost feels like time is frozen, especially when we're out and talking to members of this community who are still really struggling with what happened given you know, one, just how tragic everything was, and two, the lack of transparency and accountability that we've seen in the aftermath of the year. We spoke to Kim Rubio. She is a mom who lost her daughter, Lexi. Lexi was one of the uh, 19 children who died that day. And, you know, one year later, Kim is still having a really difficult time just even processing what happened and um, being able to grieve and move on and get closure is a difficult thing for her. Um, here's what she had to say about who Lexi was and how she's trying to honor her. I don't want her to be remembered just for this tragedy, just for May 24th. I want her to be remembered for the beautiful person that she is. I take it on my shoulders now. I think she still has the potential for change. It just has to be through me. And that's that's why I take this all so seriously. It's my greatest responsibility. I wanna, I wanna save other children. I wanna honor her life, her legacy with action. We've heard that thought from other parents of the shooting victims and several of them have repeatedly made that three hour drive from Uvalde to come to Austin calling on lawmakers at the Texas Capitol to act. Well, they haven't always had success with their pleas to lawmakers though, particularly when it comes to gun legislation, right? No, not even close. Uvalde's Democratic State Senator Roland Gutierrez, he has been the loudest voice in the legislature for gun safety reform. He's filed well over a dozen bills targeting specifically firearm safety, firearm storage, uh, firearm purchasing, whether it's increasing the age to buy a, a semi-automatic AR style rifle to 21 or requiring safe storage or closing what he calls gun show loopholes. But none of those bills, uh, not only did they not get a vote, they didn't even get 
a hearing throughout the entirety of this legislative session. So we saw on Thursday night, he made one last ditch effort to try to amend that raise the age bill onto another uh, firearm related bill in the Senate. Republicans did block that amendment, but he made an impassioned speech about what he has been through advocating for these families and about the efforts that, that those grieving parents have made to try to advocate for that legislation as well. It's all they had left. To be able to come to you and advocate so that this wouldn't happen again. Anybody else's kids. Of course we know it has it happened two weeks ago. So I get what you guys have to deal with back home and I get that you have to go and run for office. Sometimes you just gotta tell those people to go to hell and you're here to protect kids. And that's all that matters. Senator Gutierrez acknowledged that Thursday was likely the last chance to get the raise the age legislation passed this session. The bill he was trying to amend aims to toughen the penalty for selling or giving a gun to someone who is prohibited from otherwise possessing a firearm. And that passed with unanimous support. Well, lawmakers in Washington did pass gun control measures shortly after the Uvalde mass shooting. Has that legislation made much of a difference? U.S. Senator John Cornyn of Texas was one of the leaders on that bipartisan Safer Communities Act. And he was in Austin over the weekend. And I caught up with him and asked him if he thinks that that package did enough. And he actually gave me some numbers so he came prepared with how he thinks that this legislation has been making an impact. He said there's been a 52% increase in federal prosecutions of unlicensed firearm dealers. He also said that there have been 160 instances in which the FBI has identified people with juvenile records that pretty much prohibited them and disqualified them from being able to purchase a firearm. So, of course, you know, gun rights or gun restriction advocates rather have been saying it's not enough. They want to see right. an age limit um, on purchasing those semi-automatic weapons, and some of them want to see a complete ban. But Senator Cornyn said as a Republican, he has to balance protecting Second Amendment rights, and he thinks that this package that they passed last year, which really was a um, historical package, he thinks it is making a difference, and their goal is just making sure that criminals do not get access to these firearms if they have bad intentions. Well, the two of you have a series of reports looking at the legislative and community response to Uvalde one year later, and you can see those stories beginning tonight and through Wednesday on this station. Thank you both. Thank you. What's next? Like, I don't know where they're going to stop but I frankly don't want to be here to find out either. Families of trans children making plans to live outside Texas. How legislation that's poised to become law is making an impact. Plus, we show a state lawmaker video from a Texas school at the center of abuse allegations. What are they doing holding him down? I mean, because if you throw any child down like that, that's abuse. Why our investigation has him talking about the need to change state law. Governor Greg Abbott is expected to sign a bill into law that will ban certain health care options for transgender minors, but the legislation is already having an impact even before it becomes law. Will Dupree looks at the fallout for one Democratic state lawmaker and for a local family planning to move out of Texas. 
This box is filled with precious moments. They're little figurines. I started collecting them as a baby. Lauren Rodriguez is packing up what matters most to her ahead of a big move next month. I'm excited. Last year, she talked to us about putting her house for sale. And now that it's sold, she'll soon leave Texas and reunite with her transgender son, Grayson. I asked for a last photo in Texas because he's never coming back and this is what I got. Grayson already flew more than 7,000 miles from Austin to New Zealand to begin nursing school and a new life far from the political fights happening at the Texas State House. This week, state lawmakers sent Senate Bill 14 to the governor's desk. The legislation bans transgender children from receiving puberty blockers or hormone therapies, as well as surgeries to aid in their transition. Every Republican in the Texas House supported it, along with these four Democrats. Only one, Representative Sean Theory, rose to explain her vote. I am making a decision to place the safety and well-being of all young people over the comfort of political expediency. That spotlight led to a Democratic club in her Houston district to formally censure her. Plus, a challenger officially announced he'll try to unseat her. Equality Texas, the LGBTQ plus advocacy organization, predicts backlash at the ballot box. I think it cements in her legacy something that um, will not be viewed pleasantly by people in the future. Despite the pushback, Theory stands by her vote. I believe that the majority of people um, that live, work, and play in my district um, agree with me and I heard from them. The election is more than a year away, and one thing's for certain, yeah. Lauren Rodriguez and her family won't be Texas voters much longer. What's next? Like, I don't know where they're going to stop, but I frankly don't want to be here to find out either. So. Will Dupree joins us now, and Will, you mentioned several Democrats supported this bill, so why is Representative Sean Theory feeling most of the backlash? I talked to Brad Pritchett with Equality Texas about that, Josh, and you heard briefly from him there in the story, but what he told me is that yes, a handful of Democrats voted for this legislation and added that they all should face additional scrutiny from voters. But Representative Theory was the only Democrat to go during the debate to the lectern there and say that she did not believe these health care restrictions would harm the transgender community. It was a very public departure from what most of her caucus felt. And I know a day after her vote on SB 14, someone stepped forward to say that he would challenge her in the primary next year. So how is she feeling about her reelection support? Yeah, this same challenger, an activist named Ashton Woods, sought to unseat her back in 2020 and lost that primary by about 35 percentage points. Representative Theory reminded me of that when we talked earlier this week, and she did not really seem too concerned that, that she would have her seat face any kind of jeopardy because of her stance on this issue. She says that the majority of her district in Houston supports her stance on it. I I'm going to do like I always do, go back home, serve my constituents. When it's time to campaign, I'll, I'll do that too. Um, but I cannot, you can't serve effectively and be a, a, you know, a good servant leader if every decision you make is self-serving. Her newly announced primary challenger, Ashton Woods, as we mentioned earlier, called Theory's vote on SB 14 the last straw in making his decision to jump back in this race and challenge her again. He takes issue with a number of her stances this, set, this session, including uh, efforts to add some security measures to school buildings. This week, though, he says that he raised $10,000 since announcing his intent to just mount a primary challenge. So he argues Theory's position does not match what he's hearing from voters. 
I have a lot of people mobilizing behind me. So I can't worry about whether or not she feels like that this is going to vote her conscience. What I'm going to do is make sure people are educated. I'm going to make sure people turn out to vote. And I'm going to make sure that people know that they matter. The primary for that race will be held next year on March 5th, Josh. These inter-party policy differences should make this an interesting one to watch. Thank you very much, Will. Mm -hmm. Protecting students, we take a closer look at abuse in schools and how a state agency doesn't confirm allegations very often. And medical debt in Texas, the new progress on legislation to require doctors to give patients itemized invoices to ensure billing transparency. Protecting students, parents and lawmakers are growing concerned over investigations of physical abuse inside Texas schools. The Department of Family and Protective Services, through its Child Protective Investigations Division, has investigated more than 1,500 allegations of such abuse against students in schools since 2021. DFPS says its rulings can influence criminal investigations and professional decisions at the Texas Education Agency. But investigator Kelly Wiley found DFPS is overwhelmingly ruling out physical abuse, even when evidence leads to other discipline and retraining. Inside a Round Rock school for students with special needs, cameras show teachers taking this 14-year-old to a cool-down room in 2022. In a Texas Education Agency report, his teacher said it was because he was arguing and refusing to take a break. Inside that cool-down room for several minutes, the student leans against the wall. It's when his teachers walk out and he follows that another school employee grabs him around the neck, according to state records, and throws him back into the room. The student then jumps up and makes physical threats to punch them. After, you can hear the student scream as he was held on the ground for five minutes by staff. Later reports from the TEA said those actions subjected the student to techniques against state law. But even with the video, records show Child Protective Investigations, or CPI officials, initially said it was not physical abuse. I called the investigator. The investigator told me to take it up with supervisor. I pleaded like I would like an, I would like an appeal. I would. Um, this, this isn't right. A Round Rock administrator is no longer working at a special education school. In October, KXAN obtained the video through the student's family attorneys and published it in a story. Thousands of views later, the boy's mother got a different result. I got a whole new letter, same case number, um, same incident date. This time, instead of ruled out, it says reason to believe. I want to show you a video. Okay. So here it is. We showed the video of that incident to Representative Harold Dutton, a state lawmaker who chairs the House Committee on Juvenile Justice and Family Issues and sits on panels for public education and youth health and safety. What are they doing, holding him down? We told Dutton about CPI changing its ruling. I mean, because if you throw any child down like that, that's abuse. I don't know how anybody could conclude that was not abuse. And I'm not so sure about these changing conclusions and, and using the same set of facts and the same video to come up with a different conclusion. Come on, that's, that, that creates a lack of confidence. We also told Dutton about another case in San Augustine. In 2021, 
Records show the district was notified by a parent about an allegation of physical mistreatment of an elementary age student by a teaching aide. The district said in a statement it fired a teacher's aide after a review of footage and confirmation of misconduct. According to the statement, that same week, the district also fired another teaching aide implicated in the incident. TEA records indicate after the incident, both aides voluntarily surrendered their teacher educator certificate. But records also show CPI again ruled out abuse. His mother is still in shock. I was like, what? How they gonna rule it out? And he had bruises on him. And they even seen the video. DFPS, the agency overseeing CPI, refused to sit down with us for an interview about these cases or its investigative process in general. But in an email, it said an abuse finding requires a genuine threat of substantial harm. The agency said if an investigator in consultation with the program director determines a situation doesn't meet those elements, the case may be ruled out in accordance with existing statute. In a KXAN analysis of state data regarding two years of physical abuse allegations in schools, we found in 92% of those cases, CPI did not confirm allegations. DFPS said investigations are difficult and complex work in any setting. School investigations are equally as challenging than any other probe into abuse or neglect of a child. Representative Dutton says he's concerned with the way investigators could be interpreting the statute around abuse. That requires, I mean, requires somebody to take a look at DFPS. This session, he filed a bill to expand the definition of abuse in Texas to include restraints that don't comply with state and federal law. And there was a time when every investigator had their own definition of what abuse and neglect was. We've tried to move away from that to where we have some standard definition for it. Uh, I'm not sure that we've gotten there completely. How are you feeling about the situation now? Still pretty frustrated. If it happened to my child, it could happen to others. The Texas Education Agency has already ruled the actions seen in this Round Rock video were not in line with state or federal law. But it's still unclear what, if anything, will happen to the educator's teaching certificate. What happens now that CPI has changed its findings in that case? DFPS sent them to TEA, but so far, TEA hasn't told us anything has happened beyond that point. The district would not answer most of our questions because it says this is a confidential personnel matter. But it did say, along with annual and ongoing training, core team members also received advanced training on physical restraints this spring. We've also reached out to the employees seen in the video and have not heard back. The district told us in October the employee does not work at that school any longer, but the district said because of confidentiality, it will not say if he's still employed with the district. We also reached out to the former employees accused in the St. Augustine ISD case. One of the former aides told us she never hit the child. No criminal charges have been filed in that case, and TEA closed the investigation when the aides surrendered their certificates. Lawmakers are still in session for another week. Where does Representative Dutton's bill stand? Well, the bill has been referred to committees, but it looks like this session 
it probably won't pass. All right, so much of this information comes from families who tell us what they've experienced. We want to hear your experiences with CPI and with investigations taking place in Texas schools. You can share your story by scanning the QR code on your screen now with your smart device. Thank you, Kelly. Our investigation helps lead to results, the new update on the effort to help you better understand your medical bills and for what hospitals and doctors actually charged you. Legislation pushing more transparent medical billing is headed to the governor. It's a direct result of our investigation revealing hundreds of Central Texas hospital patients sued for unpaid medical debt. Many who say they could not get an itemized invoice to know what they were paying. But Senate Bill 490 will require hospitals requesting payment from a patient to provide a written, understandable, itemized invoice before sending them to collections. The Texas House approved the measure last week, but because of some changes to the bill, the Senate had to have final review. There were some concerns about what it would cost to implement, but the adjusted bill only applies to facilities like hospitals, not doctors or federally qualified health centers. So at the end of the day, a great bill is going to help every Texan know what they're being charged for. And I move we concur in House amendments. 31 ayes and no nays. The motion is adopted. Thank you, Senator Hughes. If the governor signs the bill into law, it takes effect September 1st. We'll keep you updated on the progress. Catch up on how we got here online. We have a link in this story in the Texas politics section of our website. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle. We'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.